What the data does is it helps you know where to start and that the danger of thinking that you know the answer and the person because you've looked at the data is that you alienate someone. So we were talking about it in terms of academic probation. You didn't do well last semester. I have the data. I can see what your grades were. You didn't do a good job. You're going to be on academic probation, right? But then this person comes in and instead of me listening to them and saying what happened last semester and them saying, my mom got sick, I lost my job, I had roommate conflict. Instead of me listening, I'm like, I know about you. You don't know how to study. You're not gonna pass this class. So you now have to go to study hall and you have to do this thing. What happens when I assume I know you because I saw the data is more destructive than if I just kept my mouth shut and not made any assumptions about what was going on with you. Because what, what that means is a student comes in and feels completely unseen completely misunderstood. I totally missed a, a human connection with them because I'm so smart, I already have the answer. Hi. Hey. How's it going? Good. So you want to hear the story? Yes, I'm so worried about I'm, you, Anthony. I'm getting, I'm getting in the, on the video. Just, I'm literally sitting down. And I see my daughter pulling out of the out of the driveway, and my friend who's background with my wife parked pretty close to the driveway, so she had to make a real sharp turn that she's not used to making. She backed right into a car across the street, so she's fine. The car is fine. It cost me a couple grand, but she, her reaction was, was was not good. I'm so sorry. Well, up, so. I heard your voice when you were talking to Matt, and I was like, "That's like a real emergency. That is bad." Yeah, I mean, it was, a, it was she was in a car accident, and it was her oh. first one. And I really, I tried to be there, but she flipped out, I'm and so she sorry. just she 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 had the she had the worst reaction you can potentially have. <laughs> and then she's worried about we won't get her car now for graduation. She's not going to go away on her vacation. I was like, "Listen, I got into a million accidents in my life. Don't worry about it." Settle down, settle down. It's, it's okay. I'm so sorry that happened. Hey, it all happened. Yeah, it's real life. Um, first of all, happy birthday. Well, thank, you thank you. Yeah. Oh. What's hey, that? That's you. You are so cute and little. They called me Ringo. <laughs> I like it. Yesterday was Anthony's birthday. Um, a couple of things I don't know if you know. I know, so there's Four at least, I mean, there's a lot, but there's four famous people that were born on your birthday. Uh, Queen Victoria. Bob Dylan. Bob Dylan. Riley, Patty. the actor. There's a guy named Riley. He's a oh. famous actor. Who else? Patty LaBelle. Okay. Priscilla Presley. Okay. I knew Priscilla Presley and Bob Dylan. Yeah. So that's yeah, and amazing. And apparently some lady who I went to the gym with now that the gym's closed, I was having a birthday dinner and she comes over a little drunk. She's celebrating her own birthday. And uh, she comes over, uh, sits on my lap and gives me a kiss in front of my wife. And my wife gave her the most Italian stare down you've ever seen in your life. <laughs> well, you share a birthday. So now you know, I guess. Um, also, I don't know if you know that it's National Asparagus Day and National Scavenger Hunt Day. Well, I did know it was National Asparagus Day. I celebrate it every year. I'm so glad to hear that because I would hate for you to miss out. And in 1883, the Brooklyn Bridge opened. Did you know that? I did not know. 1883, after 14 years of construction, on your birthday, the Brooklyn Bridge opened. And you know why? It's because on my birthday, I can sell it to you. 
Oh, I no, I won't fall for that one. I'm 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 familiar with that one. Okay, pictures. Are you ready? Let's go. Okay, you sent you showed us this picture a couple of times ago about your mom going to Coney Island. Yes, I really That's appreciate. Um, here's a picture of my mom. Wow, beautiful. She was beautiful. Um, yeah, this is like back in the age of glitz and glamour, right? Yeah. Also, you attended a graduation in person. I did. How wonderful. My daughter who just got into a car accident. <laughs> it's like, you know, ups and downs both ways, right? Um, so that's exciting. And this is Iona, which is in, it is in New York, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Westchester. Awesome. Well, I'm so glad that she had that. And then this last one, Anthony, I'm very concerned about. What? A happened? boy, a ball, and a tree. A boy, a ball, and a tree. with trees, Anthony. What? What I was doing a Willie Mays catch and I was looking back and I caught the ball and hit a tree. Well, I'm very It's sorry. much better now. Is it on this side? Yes. On this yeah. Side. It looked very painful. I was really concerned about it. You see how I texted you immediately to see how you were. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I'll save that for a webinar. It's fine. <laughs> um, okay. It's time for 20 questions. Are you ready? Let's go. 19 questions. These are birthday related. Okay. Okay. What time were you born? 6.05 a.m. Okay. Do you have a standard birthday dinner? No. Would you rather be the strongest person on earth or the smartest person on earth? Smartest. Would you rather have cake or ice cream on your birthday? Cake. What is your astrological sign? Germany. Do you like pickles? Yes. <laughs> like how you're like, that one threw me off. I don't, do I? Okay, do you remember what you did for your 40th birthday? Yes. I was supposed to go to Vegas. No, that was my 50th birthday. Um, no, I don't. <coughs> 50th was more memorable, huh? What is your favorite uh, kind of cake? Um, carrot cake. Oh. Do you have any birthday traditions? Nope. As a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? Race car driver, and I wanted to live. <laughs> just make it through. Just make it through. Um, do you love birthday cards? Getting them? I like yeah. handwritten notes. I like handwritten birthday cards. I find that there's like two camps of people, people for whom like birthday cards are very, very meaningful. And then people who are like, I don't care. I, I want people to write me something. Yeah, that's good. Okay. Um, let's see. Do you sleepwalk? No. Are you a typical Gemini? Which yeah. I have a, you are? 100%. Okay. I'm the nicest human being in the world until I'm not. <laughs> You've got the twin, the twin uh, part 100%. of you. I'm, I, 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 you can push me farther than anybody, but once you push me, there's a line that comes down that is cold as ice and my heart dies and you're it's done. Not, yeah. yeah. That's what I, that's funny, Anthony, because I have that part of me too, which is like, I'm going to have to kill you now and I'll feel very sorry afterwards. Like, no, I see, I won't feel sorry because- <laughs> Because I won't, because if you did that. You deserve it. No, not even deserve it. It's like, it's just, it's time for me to go now. Right. It's, it's, I'm not upset. I'm, I'm not mad. I'm not angry. It's just time for me to go. <laughs> okay. Do you want to open your birthday presents first thing in the day or wait till the evening? It doesn't matter. Usually in the morning. Okay. How old were you when your oldest daughters were born? I was 20. Uh, wow. Uh, trick question. I was 34. Okay. 
Would you rather eat only hot dogs or macaroni and cheese for the rest of your hot life? Hot dogs. <laughs> Name one person you heard from for your birthday that you haven't heard from in a long time. Um, it's so funny because I did hear from somebody I haven't heard from in a long time. Um, oh my God. So long. Oh, you oh Robbie Wilson, Rob, Robert Wilson from Ford street. When I was seven years old, he Facebooked me and said, happy birthday. That's awesome. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I've saved the most important one for last. Anthony, would you rather fight one bear sized duck or 10 duck sized bears? One bear sized duck. Yeah, me too. 10 duck sized bears sounds terrifying. Yes, because, yeah. because, uh, that's that. Where'd you get that question? Matt made it up. Oh my God. Don't let him make <laughs> questions up. What the hell is that, Matt? What did you eat last night? Did you came up with that question or drink or smoke? <laughs> Isn't it funny? I asked you, where'd you come up with that question? You I knew, knew that, that didn't come <laughs> That's like, the weirdest wow. question anybody's ever asked me. Well, I'm glad to know we agree about it. <laughs> Okay, so let me get back to our State of the Union. Thank you for playing with me. It's always a pleasure. Um, two other things, guys, for State of the Union that I want to talk about. And the first one is that tuition discount rates are reaching an all-time high. So they've continued to climb over the last couple of years. Now, this, this year, uh, 2021, the average discount rate for first-time undergraduates reached 53.9%. Um, so in other words, for every hundred dollars in tuition, they collect, they do not collect 53 point, uh, $53.90 basically. So that's the, the discount rate. And we're always looking to see if the discount rate and then the tuition increases are keeping kind of in the same ratio or if they're changing. It seems like that discount rate is moving a little bit um, more quickly than the tuition increase. So that's interesting for schools um, to know. And then this last one you're going to be so happy about. This president at West Texas A&M made 3,000 personalized videos for his prospective students. So um, for weeks, he squeezed recording sessions in between meetings and other appointments. He did videos about 16 to 19 seconds each over the course of 200 hours. And basically he just said, hey, I'm the president of WT. I know you've been accepted into the journalism program for the fall semester. I'm excited to see you on campus. Canyon is a great place to be. And then they sent all of those out to their prospective students. But each person's like name, he used everybody's name? Yes, name and major. Isn't that amazing? And so- you know it's, It is amazing, but it's unfortunate that it's amazing because we used to do that, right? When we're in the 1920s and the 30s, I mean, my grandmother-in-law, who 97 when she passed away, she used to get handwritten responses from A-list celebrities that she actually gave to me, all these handwritten, actually with their home address on, which was weird. Oh my so, so people used to put in that kind of time. And now yeah. it's so amazing, but it really isn't, yeah. right? Well, they're very interested to see what the yield of that is going to be, because, I mean, you can imagine if the president is saying like, hey, Anthony, we want you to come and we'd love to see you. It, it would be really impressive. 100%. You'd feel completely seen. 100%. So, pretty exciting. Okay. So we are talking about today um, this idea that it's time for us to assemble stuff. I have a crazy town hotel for you to talk about uh it's also, I've, I've been picking ones recently that have been giving me hives. 
So you look very distressed. They're very, they, these are very stressful. Um, before we get to that, I want to talk a little bit more about Kintsugi. So remember that we're at the place right now where we're preparing and transforming what we're doing. Two really awesome examples of this. This is actually my mom is building a, um, uh, what's this, a table out of a tree that they cut down. It's a gigantic willow. And you can see her hand in the up in this picture on the left. That's her hand. So it's a gigantic thing. And she was saying, well, there's a crack in it. And she's filled it in with glass, which is exactly what we're talking about with Kintsugi. Wow. Um, and then there's another example of somebody in the city who is filling in cracks with this really beautiful tile. I love it. Isn't that fun? And so again, it's like taking something that's imperfect and then making it really beautiful so that it calls attention to it and people are happy to see it. So as we're talking about this next normal, there's a couple of steps we have to take. Um, we've already acknowledged what's broken. We've talked about those pieces. And I think it's important to say right now, like we're in a transition space. I think a lot of um, industries are in transition. We're not to the next normal yet but we definitely are not where we've come from. And so part of the mental work that we're doing right now is trying to figure out what is gonna be next and what should we be doing and where do we pour our energy? And Anthony, it's so interesting on your show, I've been seeing this so much, like the, there's like a move away from what has happened and where we are to like, okay, now let's think about what we're gonna do when we get to the next place. Is that is that fair? Yeah, you are I, very I, I, Absolutely, today. absolutely. Yeah, yeah, I think that's exactly where we are. Yeah. So a couple of things that I think are really helpful as we're preparing to do our next normal, we want to make sure that we are clearing away all of the clutter, um, that we're gathering the tools that we need, um, and then also that we're being really careful about what we're pursuing. So this idea, um, you were talking on your show today about some things that have been broken. You guys were talking about in the hotel industry. We're talking all the time about equity issues in higher education. And you guys were making a distinction between like what you want to fix versus what you have to fix and how those are two completely different approaches. Do you want to say a little bit more about that? Well, too many people, in my opinion, are fixing things that aren't broken. So, you know, in our approach, it's not only fixing things, it's preventing things from breaking, right? It's, it's, it's what do we deal with, we dealt with it today on, 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 on our uh, podcast is work on finding the best people in the world. Don't work on trying to find people to fill a job, okay? If you have to put down rooms, if you have to shut your restaurant for a day, do whatever you have to do, because if you really fix the problem that's at hand, it's because you're not hiring good people, you're not hiring good managers, you're going to be broken for a long time. So that's kind of the thing that I've been, I got a little heated today about it. <laughs> well, your guest was an Irishman and he was working very hard on pushing your buttons. Oh yeah. And I, did you see me giving him the old Italian Brooklyn stare down? I did. <laughs> I did. It was a, it was a very exciting show. Um, but I was just thinking about uh, as we're uncovering these inequity things, there is a need to fix, absolutely. But I think what I'm seeing a lot from people in higher education is really a desire to want to do the right thing. So it's one thing if you're like, my business cannot survive if I don't fix this. So I guess I'm going to have to fix it. And then it's another thing if you're like, no, there's a certain way that we should be treating people. There are certain things that we should be doing. And I want to do those things so that 
we're running a successful business. Our college community is what it is. And I think they're both important. I mean, I think you should have to fix some things and you should want to fix some things. I think maybe one is just more, you know, as you're talking about passion all the time, the things that you feel like you want to fix because you want to treat people in a certain way, obviously that's going to have the energy of passion behind it versus the energy of fear, which is like, we have to fix this because if we don't, we're in trouble. What's amazing to me is that people don't go with their gut. And they always regret. It's like you see the thing that's got to be fixed, but you don't fix it. And then you're spending the time being upset, being miserable, being whatever you want to be. Yeah. Um, but but just fix the thing that's in front of you. It's, you know, back in the 90s when crime in New York City was an all-time high, which unfortunately is getting a little, it's, it's not bad. People are making it more than it is. But uh, in the 90s, it was the broken window syndrome, right? You, you fix the broken window and everything gets fixed. I remember a story about Giuliani who's, to me went off the rails now, but when he was the mayor, he uh, he made sure he hired the best police commissioner, which was Bratton, and Bratton would call his com- uh, commanders at each precinct and said, how many hubcaps do you need? And so what do you mean how many hubcaps do you need? Most of the police cars don't have hubcaps. How many do you need? They go out, count, and say, I need 80 hubcaps. And he would send them 80 hubcaps. He's like, wow. you, and that was, that always stayed with me because the, you would think he's worrying about violent crime. He's like, you got to get pride back in the force. Like the cars aren't going out dirty. They're not going out broken. They're not going out without hookups. You're going to have the right equipment, the right guns, the, the right, you're going to have everything you need. And then we're going to hold you accountable. So he didn't hold anybody accountable until, so I thought it was fantastic. Yeah, that's great. It's really interesting because I'm thinking so many of the, the people that I'm talking to are um, feeling kind of broken down. <laughs> like they have not been resourced and they've been worked really hard. And I'm so grateful for the summer season where there's a little bit of time at colleges and universities to be thinking about what's coming next. And I really think, um, so a really interesting idea about like when you eat, eat, and when you walk, walk, which is a a kind of proverb that says like, be very conscious of where you are. And I've been really encouraged to see so often when Rachel Elin and I are talking to our clients, the, like in the last couple of weeks where they're like, Hey, I need to have good boundaries because I have been just running and broken down and not being resourced the way that would be helpful to me. And if I do not stop and say, no, I'm sorry, I cannot do that this summer, or I'm not gonna do orientation in three different formats. I can't, I just can't do it. It's not gonna, it's not gonna end up well. Um, I think people are discovering this um, protection of self that is like, I have to have good boundaries and say, you have to resource me because otherwise I'm going to be totally worthless in this thing that you want me to do. Absolutely. So, and I, th- I think people are getting close to burnout. Like we talked about last time. Yeah, for sure. Um, another thing that I would like to say, so, so after you're preparing, then we're thinking about reconstituting. This is where you're looking at all of the pieces and you're thinking about how are we going to re- resemble, reassemble. So um if you think about programs or barrier processes or um, language that you viewed with students and you're like, hey, we need to fix this, I would encourage you to think about what you were doing before that was essential and you want to keep doing. So pre-pandemic, what did you do really well and you need to to bring back? Um, What were you doing that was totally unnecessary? And time has shown like nobody cared about that. Stop. Um, What 
have you done because of pandemic that has given you more flexibility that you should keep in place? And then also what strategic directions did you create before the pandemic that you want to revise or discard or even accelerate? And I think the important piece about this is that things are broken in three different ways on our campus. And I don't know if this is true in the hotel industry or not, but on our campus, they're broken because historically they were broken and fractured and we pretended like they weren't. They're broken because with the weight and the speed of the pandemic, they were okay and now they just broke because we didn't we weren't prepared and then also we have a bunch of things that are not broken yet but because of what we experienced in the pandemic the timeline to fix them is not seven years now it's two years right we've said like oh well, we have five years before we can address that thing and now it's becoming clear like no that timeline has been really short and now you have two years to figure it out so like it was broken it broke or it's gonna break uh, pretty quickly. I don't know if, uh, does that resonate with um, yeah. hotels? I, I think so, but again, getting back to, um, I think people have been taking people for granted for too long and they're like, talking about the broke fix it thing, right? The person that screams and yells and gets all the fanfare is the one that you pay attention to, but the one that comes in every day, does their job, goes home, uh, and does it again and again and again, does a really good job. You don't pay attention to them. They may be broken, but you don't care because they're not causing yeah. any problems. I think it's time. And again, we talked about it last time and I talk about it every day now is gratitude. You know, it's like my daughter just backed into a car. I am glad that my daughter is capable of driving a car and that we can afford insurance to fix the car. Not that, oh, my daughter got into a car accident, you know, and, and you know, and, and now my neighbor's looking at me crooked. It's a good neighbor. My neighbor's more worried about my daughter. We can afford to fix the car. She's going to be fine. She, she it, it was good. It was a small little accident. And now she's hopefully understands that, you know, when you get behind the wheel. So I think if you just deal with gratitude, um, so when you go to a campus, you see this is broken, that's broken. Give thanks that something's broken that you can get, you can fix. Yeah, and sure. and that you have an opportunity to fix something to improve other people's lives. And that's kind of how I'm looking at life after the pandemic, that every single thing that I look at, even when I ran into a tree, I was like, oh, I could have got my eye taken out. And if I got my eye taken out, how would I feel about that? Okay, whatever. I got my eye taken out. <laughs> it's like, but I have another eye and I've gotten to use this eye for 56 years. Yeah. So, so I just, after, so that's how I look at broke and fix. It's like, there's going to be broken things, deal with them, but first give thanks that they're broken. You have an opportunity to fix them. You have the ability to fix them. And, uh, and that's how I'm looking at everything now, because if not after the pandemic, I don't, you know, I don't know what I've learned if I don't learn gratitude and, uh, and, and, and give thanks for, you know, like, again, giving the opportunity to make my school better. Yeah. For sure. And I think when you move past the, you know, last time we talked about, you have to acknowledge what's broken. But then when you move to the place where you're like, there are things we can fix and there are things that we can make better and we can be grateful for that opportunity. I think that's exactly right. So um, I want to move on to your hotel, but I want to talk just really briefly about uh, for our listeners, you guys, those are, here are things that I think you should be thinking about in terms of, of fixing um, we want to think about long-term fixes versus short-term fixes. We've had a lot of short-term fixes. And the question is, are those sustainable? Are those setting you up to be successful in the future? And so thinking about that in your conversations and your committees and with your colleagues as you're, you're addressing things, I would really think about summer expectations. We have had um, kind of historically the summer's off. And I don't think, I think one thing that's come out of the pandemic is, wow, there's a whole couple of months that we could be talking to students that we need to make sure we're doing that. Please make sure that you're using the right tools 
that you've already developed. I was talking to someone yesterday about um, orientation and he's like, hey, we're going to do in-person orientation, but I have all these videos that we developed during the summer last year that we're going to make available so that people can be not only attending orientation, but have this um, toolkit basically to remind them of like, where's the registrar and what's happening and all of those different things. So make sure that you're using those tools, investing in your community, because we know that's super important. And then please make sure you're using that data to analyze what are the right students that you want to be connecting with. Um, so the hotel I want to talk about comes out of this caution when we're moving, uh, when we're changing systems, when we're reassembling. You've heard this before at Henry Ford. If you always do what you've always done, you'll always get what you've always got. And I, and I love, and he says, if I listen to my customers, what they wanted, they want, they want faster horses. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So he clearly has a clear picture of like, what are the things that we need to change and be addressing and, and our expectations. So this is the hotel that I want to talk about. Do you know this hotel? Oh my God. <laughs> oh my God. Oh, oh, you're, I, I, my, what's the line from the, the sister? She yelled at me. I said, um, is I read people well. Oh, you read people well. Oh, you're a genius or something. She screamed at me. She was a lunatic. He was a lunatic. Yeah, that, that was, that is, you cooked a really good, really, really, really good episode to, to like, like things that could be fixed so easily and that just weren't. Yeah. I still remember I stole his money. <laughs> yeah, so I, I have, I think that's a hidden slide. So, okay, so this is Virginia Beach, um, season five, episode eight. This is Rustin Milda. You come in on the other side of this um, shelf is a money bag. And you're chatting with him and you're like, is this your money bag? And he's like, yes, it is. And then you take it and walk out the door and he's like, hey, hey, come back. And then you come in and it's like literally a wad of cash. And you're like, how would you keep from someone from doing that? And he's like, no one would ever do that. And you're like, I, I just did it. I don't know why right, you're saying right. that. He goes, I'll chase you down. I was like, dude, you can't walk. Yeah, he was not. <laughs> um, okay, so he, he has owned the store for a long time. I forget what this says. It's like tears of, what was it? it was ashes of problem customers. Ashes what? of problem customers. Yeah. He was just so snarky and did not, I mean, you said to him like, Hey, you're not in the hospitality industry. And he was like, I don't even know what that means. Basically. I just like rent out beds. <laughs> yeah. Is that what you thought about it? Um, yeah, he was a, he was a, um, snarky is a kind way of saying it. He, um, he didn't care. He just wanted to make money. Um, he wanted to make it as much for Lil's effort as possible. Remember, he said he hadn't been in his room in five years or something. Yeah, his hotel room. He had not been in there in five years. Okay, so he has a, a daughter, Chrissy, who's part of the problem. She's like there all the time, but she hates people. As she was my favorite. She was my favorite person, I think, ever. <laughs> she was that, that. There you go. That is my reaction to Chrissy. Well, listen, my favorite part of this, this exchange is there's a dog that's standing over by you and she's being like, she's kind of ye yelling at you a little bit and saying like, this is stupid. And then she's like, Hey, come here. And you're like, what? And she, She's like, no, the dog. And you're like, Oh my gosh, I thought you were talking to me. No, that's how it's a nightmare. That whole family okay. was a nightmare. The whole family was a crazy. And okay. I got, I, I, and I got a. Uh, I, I've got a, a backstory at the end of this. Remind me. Okay. 
Okay, so the rooms are awful. This is the room he hasn't been in. There's like dust that you literally, it was like dreadlocks that you peeled off of the- First time I've ever been able to pull dust like that off. That's dust. That's dust. <sighs> okay. But the high point is Erica and Matt. Yes. This is their other daughter and her husband, who's a nuclear engineer- they have very good paying jobs and they're like, we want this hotel. And you gave them a, a really big list of like, I want to have your marketing. I want to know what you're going to do about this. I want to know about, you took them around the hotel and you're like, the carpet's $10,000, the air conditioner's $50,000, the this is this. So I want a plan for how you're going to get the money, what you're going to do with it. And also how you're going to take care of your family because you have a sister that you don't want to work with and you have parents you don't want to work with, but it's a family business. So you have to have a plan about how you're going to take care of them. Right. right. I mean, I, it was one of the best plans we've ever come up with. It really is. Yeah. Well, I could tell that you were super impressed with their work because it was short term. In, in like 24 hours, he came up with an incredible plan. Yeah. Um, they're very even keeled. They're, they're really normal. I like what they did because like in the place of assembling, they looked around at everything was broke that was broken and they came up with a thoughtful, prepared plan. And it reminded me what you always say about go slow to go fast, right? Like don't jump in and be like, we've got to change everything. Actually go through and say, this is what's important. And this is what we're going to do with our, we're, our we're, revenue. We're doing, yeah. We're doing that now in a Tampa, in the hotel we're buying in Tampa. And um, everybody's like this, that as like, Hey, Let's let's land the plane. Let's buy the hotel and let's figure it out. But let's let's everybody stop talking. Just yeah. just land the plane and go slow. And yeah. then once we get there, we can put. I'm I'm very methodical in the way I approach things. And because once I go, my ADD kicks in, and I just I just want to go really fast. But yeah. if I don't, then I get overwhelmed. Yeah, that's right. So I like that when we're talking about what's going to happen for the fall for our schools. Because I have seen a little bit, I think ADD is the right um, thing to call that. I have seen a little bit of like, everything's broken. And so people are, are for, they, they feel frenetic in their trying to fix the thing. But what we're seeing actually in this fixing and assemble is that you go slow, that you're thoughtful, that you get the right information and you make good decisions not that because you feel out of control and you don't know what to do, you're just going to start changing things and being like, well, we've, we've always done that. So we're not going to do that anymore. Okay. Well, you need to be really thoughtful about what needs to change. And then, like I said before, like the things that have been working really well, don't throw those out just because you're anxious that we should be doing something differently than we are doing. Right. So this precious couple comes to this family meeting with their great plan and the sister loses her mind, basically. And yeah, it's you like- know, You grabbed great pictures because literally he looks confused. She's always got, the mother's always got a smile on her face to fake it. The other one with the glasses is just, <laughs> her face says everything. And the little sister's always surprised and shocked that everybody's crazy. <laughs> she totally is. And then she just keeps looking around like, is this real? Like, did you really just say that? Are you really going to walk? She's shocked every time anyone says anything. Yeah. And, you, and when she yelled at me, I'm sure you're going to get to that. When she yelled at me and screamed at me at the restaurant, you see how calm I was? Like, she and she, that was real. She was screaming at me. And I was just like, you know what? I just, I, you know, the good thing about these, the, the when this happens, 
like you're angry. I'm not angry because like it's your, I mean, this is, I'm trying to help you. So right. I have nothing to get angry at. Like, right. like people always expect me to lose my mind. It's like, she's mad. I'm not mad. I'm a business consultant. Why should I yell back at her or get upset that she's yelling at me? It's like, I never get that. So I, I, I remember this scene because she was so amplified and I was so chill. And the thing is, Anthony, she's mad. What, what I found so ridiculous about this whole thing is that she, her anger was so misplaced because you're the one who said like, Hey, and what does your sister get? Like, we have to take care of her. You have to be fair to her. So you have to figure out if you don't want to give her a job, you have to figure out how your prosperity is going to also be her prosperity. Yeah, and I said, she's going to get paid for doing nothing, but she, yeah. yeah, but she was still mad. So the reason I think that she's a really important person to talk about when we're talking about this fixing thing is because this is true in counseling. It's true in families all the time, which is, you know, we have a system, we have a way of being somebody's in charge in our families somebody does what they say and then somebody's like this we call it the central organizing principle of the family so everybody just watches what this person does and like tries to react and what so our families but also our businesses and our institutions they have a way of being everybody knows what they're supposed to do and everybody's supposed to just keep doing it and this family is a great example of that the dad wants money, the mom's scrambling to try to make everything work, the sister's high and mighty and she doesn't like, you know, people. And then you have this other sister who's like, hey, I want to come in and I want to change the system. I want to fix some things. I want things to be different. And what Christy said to you about do not change anything is what you always hear when you're trying to fix a system or do something in a different way. So she was like, Everything you're saying is a bad idea. Well, anytime you try to change a system, there will be somebody who's like, that's a bad idea. That's a bad, I don't know why you think you should do that. That's a bad idea, right? Well, what do you know that I don't? Nothing. You just don't like change. So that's a bad idea. Second, you don't know what you're doing. I mean, it's weird for her to be saying you don't know what you're doing because you kind of do know what you're doing. <laughs> I would imagine that, you know, um, you know, 35 years in this business and you know what, it's like, I could see if I came in arrogant or cocky or pompous or throwing money around saying, you got to fix this. You gotta, I came in as a gentleman and but, right. but, but, listen, but when you're dealing with people like that, people like that make their own problems their whole life. So right. whether she's on substance abuse, but she's, I don't know, abusing some kind of substance, whether she, she's just obviously made bad decisions in her life. Yeah. And now she's making more bad decisions by yelling at the guys trying to help you. Yeah. And she doesn't, I mean, the, the problem is that with people like that, whether it's her or people in your life or your business who are like, don't change everything. We like the way it is. Don't move it. Don't change it. Don't change it. It's a, it's an emotional response. It's because they feel anxious or they like to be in charge or they're uncomfortable with change, but things like that's a bad idea. You don't know what you're doing. The other one that I hear so often when you're trying to change the system is who are you? Who are you to think that you could come in here and change? And she's saying that about you, but she's saying it about her sister and her brother-in-law too. She's like, I don't know you. You're not allowed to come in. You don't even know what you're doing. It's a refrain that people who are afraid of change use to try to get the person who's fixing the system to stop being a troublemaker. We all know how this works. Even if it's not working well, I don't understand why you have to be a troublemaker and come in and tell us we have to do it differently. So I'm going to say all these things to you so that then you will stop. 
Yeah, right? it's amazing. It's amazing to me that um, people can't see what's in front of their face. It's like you have a hotel on the ocean in a tourist market. You can make a lot more money. Look around you. Other hotels are making more money and getting better rates. Like what is the problem? What are you hiding from? Like your insecurities, your, I mean, I have one, one owner said to me, what are you, God? I was like, no, I'm not God, but you're, you're an alcoholic. <laughs> Remember that guy? I was like, no, but yes. you're an alcoholic. Yes. Like, like, I'm just trying to help you, bro. And, you know, I, I just don't understand it. I, I just have always had a need since I'm a kid to fix what's broken. And I don't ever put myself first. I always like, yeah, I'm the le- I, I'd like fix that problem. And then like, if I need to show my ego, I'll show my ego. But these people always show their ego before they fix the problem. Yeah, that's right. That's another really good example of, I mean, I would say never underestimate the drama and attack that a person will bring forward to keep you from changing a thing that is going to make them uncomfortable. It's just so weird to me that people are willing to be like, I will blow everything up and be insulting and unkind and rude and illogical and all of that stuff simply because you're trying to say like, or we could do it this way. The the show has taught me one thing. It's taught me a lot of things, but the one thing that stands out is it taught me you change people's mind and behavior with analysis, with numbers, with the why. And when you're going through the why, you're going through all the analysis, you're going through all the numbers and they're not changing, it's your time to tap out. It's like, that's why I said she cannot, like you got to remove your sister or this won't be successful. So, so I, I taken all the emotion out of it. Right. Like I don't really get emotional anymore about business stuff. Like I've had a recently had to tell somebody where to go, but that was more because I wanted to, not because I had to, I just, (laughs) I I just, I just felt like it. So I did it. Um, and, and it wasn't an ego thing or I just wanted like, you need, you need to be, you need to hear a couple of things. So I told them, but I don't get up. I don't get upset. It's like, we're being reasonable. And when people aren't being reasonable, you just got to let them not be reasonable and just, um, let, and and, you know, in, 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 in an academic, uh, arena or business arena, you, you may have to remove that person so you can fix it. Yeah, that's right. And so I think in the same way that we always encourage, you know, our listeners and our partners and clients to think about the champions on their team. Those are the people who have these traits that we really love, which is like, I want to help you fix it. And here's a creative solution. And I feel like this is a thing we could do. And yeah, let's try it. Right. Those sorts of people. I think you also have to be really thoughtful about the people who just for the sake of obstinacy are going to tell you, no, you can't. Who do you think you are? That's a terrible idea. And, you know, I think it depends on your position of power, but you do have to recognize that, um, some of those people are just never going to be won over. They're just, they just live their whole life mad (laughs) for no apparent reason. And, the strategy is then to figure out how can you go around them instead of letting them ruin, you know, ruin your day or whatever is going on. Yep. Um, okay. So the last piece that I want to talk about is transformation. Um, this idea that nothing is lost and nothing is created, but everything is transformed, which I really love because I think that we don't throw things out. We don't blow things up. We just figure out how to do them better and um, more beautifully. And so I would say for higher education, one thing that's been super helpful for us to understand is that there is a high value in in in-seat education 
for a long time, people were saying like, oh, school's going to go totally online. Like this is inevitable. This is what it's going to be like. Well, we did that and most people hated it. So the truth is there's a lot of value in people being an in-seat um, education. Also, going to college and finishing gives you a lot of opportunities to excel. Also, if you go to college and you don't finish, you're disadvantaged because not only do you not have a degree, but then you also have all of the debt that goes along with college. So we have to be really intentional about how we serve our students well to graduation and then on to be successful. And then what we're hearing is community is so vital to our young adults. Those are all of the elements that we know are true, that we have to invest in, that we have to keep as pieces that when we're reassembling our programs and our processes, we've got to keep those at the forefront. But um, one thing I will tell you, so we had our conference uh, last week, maybe, I can't even remember, I think last week, um, about bridging the gap. And one thing that came out of that was this emphasis coming out of the pandemic pandemic, first of all, about compassion for other people, compassion for students, compassion for each other, understanding that um, we have these measurements, characteristic or demographic measurements, but that really what we have to do is see the person who's sitting in front of us and understand what their experience is and what's been going on with them. And I was thinking about for you, Anthony, like you love data as a tool. But when a person is sitting in front of you, you're not like, oh, I know all about you because I know the data. You have to actually take at face value this person who is now coming to the room and connect with them in an authentic way instead of being like, I just looked at all your demographic information, so I know about you. Does that make sense? Yeah, you have to know the, the, the answer to the question before you ask it, but then you have to listen. Right. So, so a lot of times I know the answer from, from a statistic standpoint. Um, so the statistics are telling me um, the answer, but I don't know why we got that answer. Like, like that, that, like, why are we, like, I can tell you're not making money. I can tell your rates are too low. I can tell your systems don't work, but why, like, why don't we invest in technology? Why don't we have a higher rate? Why aren't you paying attention? So I have the answers already and I know how to fix it, but I want to know what the motivation is behind why everything's broken. Ooh, that is so good. I had to write it down. You have to know, you have to know the data. You have to know the answer to the question before you ask it, but then you have to listen. Right, because that is so good. Because if you're listening to what the answer is, you're not hearing why the answer is what it is. And I always try to listen to, like, if I'm if I know the answer and I'm comfortable with, all right, I know the answer, I know how to fix it, done. So I'm gonna ask the question, but I really know how to fix it but I'm going to now pick on, on the nuance, okay? Like if you're sitting next to a person, what's the nuance? What's the energy coming off that person to you? What's wow. like, who are you looking at? Why aren't you looking me in the eye? Like, like how'd you show up? Why would you dress up? Why did you dress up too much? Are you trying to hide something? Why are you wearing a beard? Why do you have a beard and a mustache? Is it because you really like the way it looks or you hide behind the beard and the mustache? Yeah. It's like, it's so, I've become, I've become a psychiatrist to some degree. It's like, and I, and, 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 but if I'm really trying to figure out the answer, I'm not paying attention to all those, all those um, unsaid things. Yeah. That's so good because I was just having a conversation with um, Dr. Woosley about how the date, what the data does is it helps you know where to start and that the danger 
of thinking that you know the answer and the person because you've looked at the data is that you alienate someone. So we were talking about it in terms of academic probation. You didn't do well last semester. I have the data. I can see what your grades were. You didn't do a good job. You're going to be on academic probation, right? But then this person comes in and instead of me listening to them and saying what happened last semester and them saying, my mom got sick, I lost my job, I had roommate conflict. Instead of me listening, I'm like, I know about you. You don't know how to study. You're not gonna pass this class. So you now have to go to study hall and you have to do this thing. What happens when I assume I know you because I saw the data is more destructive than if I just kept my mouth shut and not made any assumptions about what was going on with you. Because what, what that means is a student comes in and feels completely unseen completely misunderstood. I totally missed a, a human connection with them because I'm so smart, I already have the answers, so. Absolutely, yeah, you, you gotta let people, in two hands, one, you gotta give people enough rope to hang themselves and you've gotta sometimes let them, let them kind of unwrap that, unwrap yeah. themselves from that mess because the more they talk, the more they sound ridiculous to themselves and they're like, oh man, I sound like an idiot. You know, you going back a little bit, you said something like we took about the the um, end result, right? And one of the things that's always fascinating was a guy named Spud Webb. He's five foot five, I think, and he dunked the basketball. He actually won the dunking contest. So you look at him, and the numbers say you can't dunk a basketball. It's impossible. You're five 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 six. You can't dunk a basketball. It's not going to happen. So that's the result of you being short because the number says you can't. But if you listen to someone. Well, okay, that's that's what the salute. That's what you're saying, but I want to do it really, really badly. So, if you hit a trampoline, you can jump. So let me figure out how I can make my legs like a trampoline. And he figured it out. He figured out how to spring up high enough to dunk a basketball. Why do I say that? Because that to me was the biggest problem I've ever seen in my life solved. How did this man not his? his yes, he has natural ability, but it goes beyond natural ability. You yeah. five, five people cannot dunk a basketball. Okay, because you got to go up five feet and then higher and then you're falling 10 feet. So it's like it's not possible for you to jump that high. Yeah. And I just always found every like just because the number at the end says this, I want to know the why, because yeah. if, if the why is really, really strong, we'll fix it. If the why is really, really broken, we won't fix it. So yeah. I always use him. I guess I've never really thought about it before. Like I always try to look at him and go. If he's 5'5 five five and he can dunk a basketball, most things are solvable. We can figure that out. Yeah, I don't know if that translates, but it's Yeah, I love that. And the other thing I love about it is, so there's like intrinsic, like I'm going to solve this, but there's also this piece of like, I believe in you, right? So who are the people when he, when they looked at, hey, but you're 5'5 five five, and he's like, I'm going to be a great dunker. And they're like, mm, I don't know about that. Or if they're like, hey, I believe in you. If you put your mind to that, I have confidence in you that you can solve that yeah, problem. And I, and I love when people say, and this is true, because when people doubted me, I've always, you know, and I've always tried to prove people wrong, but it's much better to prove people right. You know, yeah. it's like, it's much better to get that positive influence. And when people are getting a little weak, you can pat them on, you know, punch them in the head a little bit, but, but you know, prove people right, you know, and yeah. it's, it's so much easier um, to, to really inspire people than it is to just tell why, like, I never understood this. Why would you ever tell anybody they can't do something? Like, I've I just know. never, I've never in my life told, like, wait, I hear other parents say, well, I told my kid like, what, like, what, like, <laughs> why would you tell them they can't do something? Yeah. 
it yeah. always comes down to how bad they want to do it. Right. That's right. It's the um, communication of a lack of confidence, right? right? Instead of like, I have confidence in you. If that's the thing you want, go figure out how you're going to get that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I love this. So our last piece is about Phil and it says what we lack instructs us, which is exactly what we're talking about. Like when you have a lack, first of all, that's where you focus and you think, how am I going to solve this problem? How am I going to learn how to be better, do differently or whatever? But I also would say that so much of that is about collecting the right people to help you solve a problem. So figuring out how do we then address these issues? And I need you on my team and you on my team and you on my team um, because I have a space that needs to be filled in that maybe I haven't done the best job um, at. So, So you guys did a great job with this hotel. You made it look pretty. I just, I was not happy with any of them. Um, any of them, all, the whole family? I mean, I, the, the daughter was precious. The, the good child was precious. Um, they were all suffering. They were from all something. suffering. They were all suffering. They and were. listen, but we, we, we gave them a, we gave them a blueprint. Do you want to know the backstory? Yeah. So they, they, at the end, they, the owner said, we will let you buy the hotel. The sister will go away. You will pay the sister, I think, X amount of dollars a month. We came up with a plan and you'll take over. They quit their jobs at the military base. They were making six figures. They take over the hotel. Two weeks later, their parents fired them. That makes me crazy. Yep. Two weeks later, the parents fired them. So then they don't have jobs. No, right. Hey, listen, that is a great example. Oh, wow, that was the slide. That was the slide. I, didn't, I forgot. I didn't know I thought that was a backstory. I didn't realize yeah. that was on the slide. Well, that is a great example of how hard it is to fix an entrenched system. Because even if you get a little bit of movement, even if you have all of the plans and you're like, we're going to do this, we're going to do this, we're going to do this, everything in the system conspires to go back. Go back. The problem, this, is, this is to me that I figured this out over 35-year career. You've got to fire people. That's it. You got to fire people. You want to change systems. You want to fix systems. Unless everybody wants to go and get a psychology degree and everybody wants to sit around and and fix everybody's problems and all their childhood issues, sometimes people got to be removed. And if if you're looking at yourself and say, well, maybe I'm that person that needs to be removed, either remove yourself or fix it. And that sounds horrible and direct and mean, but I solve problems with people that want to solve problems. I can't solve problems. I can't listen. I can't climb a brick wall. That's a hundred feet tall. I could blow it up. Okay. (laughs) I put a hole in it, but I can't climb a hundred foot with no rope and no ladder. I can't do it. So I've got to, I've got to figure out a problem. And, and, and unfortunately too many people try to solve these complicated problems, whether it be on, you know, on campus or in business without solving the problem of why is that person not changing? And if you're giving the person the tools and people like get, like even when I said to you, like you kind of like laughed a little bit, but it's true. Sometimes you just got to remove people. And it's that simple. To me, it's simple because I stopped, I stopped letting my team down by trying to fix people I couldn't fix. So I would continue to let my team down because I'm trying to work on one person and letting my team down. Now I'm like, you know what? I feel bad for this person, but gone so I can fix my team. And, and so that to me 
is if, if, if something's that complicated and something's that problematic, if the system is in place to fix it, then great. But if it's not, sometimes we gotta, we gotta change people out. And also, I mean, I know you've had this experience before too, where sometimes you say to a person, I'm really sorry you have to go. And they're like, thank you, because I'm miserable. I hate this job. I don't feel like I'm good at it. I feel like every single day I'm coming in and people are wanting me to do a thing I don't want to do. And it, I think it's stupid and I have to argue all the time. And I mean, there are people who are just like, thank you for releasing me from that thing. I was never going to quit, but I'm happy to be in a position now where I have the freedom to pursue something that I'm going to be better at, or that I'm going to love more, you know? 100%. So, okay. Let me give our practical action items. As you guys are thinking about reassembling for the fall, make sure that you're asking your students about feedback. So what, um, do they think and what their experience has been? iClickers is a great survey for that. I'm happy to talk more about that with you all. Make sure that you're looking at what's happening. So, um, requiring the vaccine is a great example. I think we're up to 427 schools going to require the vaccine. Uh, that's up like 200 from a month ago. Wow. So we're starting to see this kind of increase in schools doing that. Just make sure you guys are up on what's happening with that. Um, collaborate with your colleagues and make sure that you're using your resources in the best way to solve these problems and to kind of piece back together things that have been uncovered as broken. Use your data as a tool. Um, as Anthony said, like, make sure that you have the answers, but then listen after you ask the question. And then um, think about your institution, because every institution is going to be slightly different. And so you want to make sure that you're solving problems for your students and your faculty and staff and your location and your institution and not kind of saying like, well, we know everybody's doing this thing. You need to be really strategic about those kind of long-term solutions for your institution. So pra practical action items. We're two whole minutes early finishing. Oh, Matt wants me to talk about the first success slide. So you guys, um, we are always moving our students or our schools through this. And I think the piece that Anthony and I have spent a lot of time on today is this idea of how we use data to identify students, but then we never skip the connect and solve. We're always looking at the person who's in front of us and saying, we need to make sure that we're listening really carefully to understand the nuances and the motivation of what's going on and uh, that, that data is uncovering. So, um, well, how's it going, Anthony? I'm going to be in New York next week. New York is great. We're waiting for you. We, we opened up a little island for you. We have, we have beautiful weather for you. I'm we have so a lot of great things. We have a lot of great things for you. And Rachel Elam has just recently moved to a new apartment that has both closets and windows. So she is wow. very excited. Big time, big time. <laughs> so you're going to see Rachel while you're in town? I am, yeah. So she knows, she knows all the places to go. She's, yeah. she's a better tour guide than me. <laughs> well, I'm always grateful for you to spend time with us. You guys, if you have questions about any of the Kintsugi stuff that we've talked about or any more um, of the Bridging the Gap resources that we have, we'll be sending you a follow-up um, email with that. Thank you so much for spending time with me. Do you, I, I keep forgetting, but you need to do your tagline for us. What, my tagline? Yeah. Be kind to yourself? Yes, thank you. I you think like I that, you like that tagline? I do. Every time you say it, I'm like, Rachel, be kind to yourself. <laughs> you know, I, I, I say, I, I try to tell people I, I, after the pandemic, I'm just like, 
dude, just everybody be proud of themselves. We got through it. It's crazy. I mean, yeah. I think of the moments and I'm just like, you know what? You got to be proud of yourself. So I try to be kind to myself. All right. Good to spend time with you, friend. I'll talk to you later. Talk to you later. See you soon. Yeah. Bye.